thinking about what this day signifies to our country. And uh, I was thinking about my, my time in the service and how it is that sometimes different uh, countries of the world um, view Americans. You see, as Americans, we can go to other countries and we can perhaps behave in such ways that is actually foreign to other people. We live in a country that we have the freedom to express ourselves. Of course, there are always consequences to that expression. As, as we know that, we ought to have discipline in that. And at the same time, we can express, we can speak our opinions. When we go to other countries, many other countries don't have that freedom. They don't have that liberty. It's not because Americans are arrogant. That's a misconception. It's because we walk with confidence, without fear. We can come and go as we please. Uh, if we put forth our effort in regards to the work that we have before us, the education that's available to us, we can do whatever it is that pretty much we desire to do. We can travel without fear. We don't have to go through checkpoints. You see, I've been to other countries where there are checkpoints. Your speech is monitored. There's places where you can't dress the way you'd like to. I, I've come back from those countries and thought, I, I love the United States of America. You know, it was um, men like Patrick Henry who in a, a church on March 23rd, 1775, addressed a, a group of people. And he said some very famous words. He said, give me liberty or give me death. You see, he was willing to die for that which he did not have under the oppression of a British government. He was willing to do whatever it took to know liberty here in the United States of America. And it was on July 4th, 1776, that we declared our freedom. We declared it. And this country is based, it's founded upon the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, which, by the way, is all founded on the Word of God. And if the people depart from the Word of God, then this way of life and this way of being governed falls apart. And guess what's happening today? You and I need to stand. We need to make sure that we are accounted for. Because it glorifies the Lord to stand for truth. To not waver to popular thought, 
ideologies that contradict the word, for this country is a theology. This country was based on the word of God. And to deviate from that is truly to know destruction and judgment. And so, for the moment, though, we celebrate the 4th of July. You know, I was really excited about today. It was, it was just a day that I was really, 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 really looking forward to, and here we are. I, I even, uh, you know, I, I was uh, looking up, you know, those poles that you stick in the back of trucks, and you have the American flag waving? Yeah. Well, I've wanted one of those. But I've looked online, and uh, they get pretty pricey, you know, two, three hundred dollars if uh, if you order one, and and so I took it upon myself to to uh, buy a, a receiver, and then I bought a a, a, a fence post and uh, drilled holes in it, and uh, today I got to fly the American flag on the way here in the back of my truck. And You saw a couple of cyclists going down the street. And, and I love the fact that I, I, I looked over at them and they just had big smiles on their faces. We did scare some donkeys, though, some burros. As we were, as we were going by, they ran. They're like, but, uh, but they are donkeys. They run. From the American flag. Old glory. <laughs> we are still blessed. Happy Fourth. This morning, in fact, we're, uh, please turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. As you're turning there, I'm going to just go over a few announcements with you. <clears throat> First of all, we have uh, next Sunday is salad potluck. It's uh, next Sunday, so bring your favorite salad, and uh, that way we can all be blessed by it. So that's next uh, uh, Sunday following service, and then we also have uh, this Saturday the Hands and Feet Food Box Delivery. Uh, that's July 10th, 8.30 a.m. Uh, make sure you see Ruby after service, uh, or go to the information table and let them know that you're interested in the Hands and Feet Food Box Delivery, and they'll point you in the right direction and make sure that you get in contact with Georgia Ruby and, uh, and you know all the details of that. It's just a way that uh, it's a ministry to, that, that we can reach out to the community and serve the community. Uh, we also have, um, just want to let you know today, um, although we have the foundations class going on, uh, we'll resume next um, Sunday. Uh, today, there's no foundations class after service. And then finally, today after service, we do have an informational meeting. We'd like to know who is interested in. It's, you don't have to make a commitment today. Uh, at all, but who is interested in going to Haiti? Now, we have moved uh, the trip uh, to October, so that gives us a little bit more time just to plan and, and uh, get the team together, but whoever's interested in, in going, um, that will be happening. We'll, we'll have the informational meeting today after service, uh, but the, the trip itself is October 18th through the 27th, so make sure you stick around if you're interested in that. All right, so we're in Romans chapter 8. We're wrapping up this chapter. We're covering verses 31 through 39. 
And uh, it's quite interesting that we landed in this section of scripture, and today is the 4th of July. Because for you and I, we can say that this is our declaration of independence. This is our declaration of freedom, of, of liberty. Uh, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And then Paul, throughout this, this uh, chapter, just uh, addresses that very thought, that very truth, that those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. And so it could be our declared independence, our declared freedom, let freedom ring, and, uh, and so on and so forth. As I was thinking about the title, but I chose this because this is what it depends on. This declaration, this proclamation is dependent on this one statement. If God is for us. If God is for us. And we'll explain, we'll learn what that means in a few moments. But let's start out by reading in Romans chapter 8 verse 31. It says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, Father, we, we thank you, Lord, that we can be confident. Lord, as the Apostle Paul said, I am sure I pray, Lord, that we would all be able to declare that with confidence personally. That we are sure that we have believed in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died for our sins, who three days later was raised from the dead, and today sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding on behalf of us. I pray, Father, that you would speak to us this morning. That we would perhaps celebrate and be encouraged by the confidence that is expressed in these verses. I pray, Lord, that we would take possession of them. That we would receive them with gladness and respond. Respond with gratefulness, with gratitude, with thankfulness, with joy and with a humble confidence. And so, Father, we commit this time into your hands, Lord, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. 
Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? In John 16, 33, it says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And in Romans 8, 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Everyone wants to conquer the world. But not many know how. Most believe it depends on what a person accomplishes. But God sent his son that through him, in what he has accomplished on the cross, through him, we know victory. And we've actually conquered the world. You see, the key to overcoming the world is having a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, not just knowing of him. Many people say they know of Jesus Christ, they know of God. They have many questions, and yet if you fall short of simply receiving him, of surrendering, of yielding your life to him, you fall short of salvation, you fall short of forgiveness, you fall short of receiving God's grace. The key to overcoming the world is knowing salvation, God's grace. This is for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. I have overcome the world. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those are, those are key. We can't just gloss over this or quickly go through these verses and not realize that this is all conditional. We only know a conquering of the world if we are in Christ. When no one and nothing can ever successfully condemn you and nothing can separate you from the love of God, it's then that you know victory. It's then that you know peace. It's then that you know that God is really for you. Because you chose him as he chose you. You responded to that. It wasn't your choosing that saved you. It was simply your yielding, your acknowledgement that at that point your faith was expressed in him. In verses 31 through 34, Paul is addressing the impossibility of any charge against a believer ever sticking or being sustained before God. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, it says, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. You know how many people apply self-condemnation? Oh, I've done too much. Nobody knows. Yeah, but God does. And there's nothing that he cannot save you from. And the darkest holes cannot be dark enough that God cannot shed his light upon you and bring you out. In verses 35 through 39, Paul is addressing the impossibility of anything separating us from God's love. Reminded me of what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. 
and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You see, as we look at these verses, it's Paul concluding everything that has been written up to this point. He's, he's summarizing everything. He's bringing everything to a close. It's a, the crescendo of everything that's been written up to this, these verses. The whole of the letter up to this point. In Christ, three things that we're going to point out, point out. In Christ, we have everything. In Christ, we have freedom. And in Christ, we have victory. Everything, freedom and victory is known in Jesus Christ and in him alone. Let's start out with the first couple verses in 31 and 32, where in Christ we know everything or we have everything. Verse 31 again says, What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So this question that the Apostle Paul asks what then shall we say to these things? With this question, Paul is saying that there must be a conscious and active response in the believer's life to the grace that is known in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's got to be some kind of acknowledgement. There has to be some kind of fruit in the believer's life in response to everything that we've learned up to this point. But we know it's a rhetorical question. Paul, Paul's going to answer the question for us. And this is the, as it's scripture, it is the only answer to what has been written up to this point. In case you were going to answer differently, this is the truth. This is reality. This is, what is, the, this is the right answer to the question that is asked. What then shall we say? Because... We know forgiveness of sins. What then shall we say? Because we know God will never leave us and will always help us. What then shall we say? Because we know God works things out for good to those who love him. What then shall we say? Because we know that there is a glory that awaits us. And one day we will know the glory in its fullness for all eternity. What then shall we say? How then shall we respond? How ought we respond? We then say, if God is for us, then who can be against us? What does that mean? That as a Christian, that no one will be against us? Oh, far from it. Far from it. This is not to say that Christians don't have enemies or opponents. In fact, Paul's letters, throughout his letters, all of them point out plenty of foes that the Christian will encounter constantly. And he was, he was familiar with those. In fact, we're going to read in a few moments just, in fact, what his life consisted of as far as these difficulties what Paul means by this is that if God is for us, then it makes no difference who or what is against us because no one and nothing can ever prevail against someone whose God supports them in the ways that have been described. It, it doesn't matter. 
They're all for a purpose. They're all for a reason. It's to work something out in you that blesses and glorifies the Lord. No matter if you agree with it or not, like it or not, God is doing something that is far beyond us through and in our circumstances. Therefore, the Christian can have great confidence, not in himself, but in God. There is therefore never a time or a situation where a Christian would know despondency or a complete lack of hope in life. Because this life, the purpose of life is to bless and glorify the Lord. Our lives are known in Christ Jesus, eternal life. Paul goes on to point out what God did for us in verse 32, saying, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You know, we can say with confidence that the Father held nothing back to demonstrate his love for us. He held nothing back. He held nothing back to make a way for everyone to know his grace, reconciliation, redemption, forgiveness, restoration, a restored relationship with him. In Isaiah 53.10, it says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to, gr to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And in verses 4 and 5 in Isaiah 53, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Think about that as we, as we partook of communion this morning. His broken body, his shed blood. God demonstrated that love. The Father sent the Son. The fullness of his love in his Son was demonstrated to you and I. How beautiful and wonderful that is, how amazing, how humbling. You know, Abraham may have been praised for being willing to sacrifice his own son, but God did not spare his own son, but rather gave him up. And it says here, for us all. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, it says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The Father held nothing, nothing back. And Jesus is the ultimate gift. The Bible describes him as the indescribable gift. There are no words. That's why our gratitude 
has no bounds. It's, there's, uh, there's nothing that we can do for the Lord that he has not done more for us. That's why even with the widow, when she put her two mites into the offering, so that was, that was out of everything that she had. All, everyone else gave out of their abundance, but she gave everything that she had. And she, and then she was not rebuked by Jesus, nor did he send his disciples to go tell her something. He simply received it. We can never outgive God. He gives us time. We should redeem it. He gives us provision. We should redeem it. He gives us talents. We should redeem them. And the whole point that the Apostle Paul was making, if God didn't hold Jesus back from us, what makes us think he'll hold anything good from us? He desires to give good gifts. In Christ, we have everything, and we can be content and at peace. Are you content and at peace? I've been, I've been thinking a lot lately about this, just how it is that, especially in such a rich nation, that we, we can be discontent. We can have everything and still be discontent. How much is enough? A little more. A little more. We have running water. We can go to the grocery store and buy food. We have automobiles. We can travel some pretty good roads. We have everything. And yet we are a nation that is very discontent. And see, for God's people, that shouldn't be. We should be content with whatever it is that God has provided. We should be joyful. We should be able to rejoice in the Lord, for he is sufficient. He is enough. Are you at peace? Are you content? In Christ, we have everything. But then he goes on from there in verse 33. And he says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. In Christ, we have freedom. This is a declaration. This is something I thought, man, how encouraging to go through these verses, 31 through 39, to know this personally and walk in great confidence and humility before the Lord. Absolutely beautiful. Because Paul then, from the previous couple verses, he goes on to ask some more rhetorical questions. And of course, the answers to these questions come... They are further points of encouragement for you and I as Christians, as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ. Paul does not imply with the first question that no one will ever bring a charge against God's elect. He, he, that is not what he means. In fact, we know that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And we know that there's always someone who will accuse God's people. 
In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus speaking, he says, Blessed are you when others revile you, in verse 11, and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then in, in chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, Jesus said, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? You need to know, false accusations will come. It's just part of the life of a believer. It will come. The world will do that. Let it not come from within. For if it comes from within, then as Jesus rebuked the Pharisees, we are doing the work of Satan. The authorities were constantly trying to find something to hold against the Christians. And it hasn't changed today. It really hasn't changed. There's, there's nothing new under the sun. You know, <clears throat> it was Jesus who had been accused wrongly. In fact, if you go back to the time that he was in the wilderness, he was fasting, he was physically, he was weak. And what happened is that scripture was thrown at him, wasn't it? But it was used wrongly. It was used out of context that's important to note. You see, when people twist and take things out of context, they can bring an accusation against another. But let us humble ourselves. Let us get to that place to where we hold of greater value the word of God. That we may not allow an accusation to remain but that we may rise above it. You know, our freedom is not dependent on what government gives or provides. Did you know that? I just learned the other day that, uh, you know, I was talking to a few people and my wife brought it to my attention that on top of all the money that the government is, is somehow just giving out to everyone and then employers are finding it hard to find help I didn't know this, but to 16-year-olds, they're, they're writing checks. They're, they're, uh, they're mailing out EBT uh, cards for 300 and some odd dollars, right, to our children. I, I think that is reprehensible. I think that is the government is overstepping their place. That's, that's me personally, because why? Because it's our responsibility as parents to provide for our children, not the government. So we need to be careful. Again, as I said at the very beginning, we need to stand and be counted for. We can pray for our leaders. We can pray for our president, vice president, all our representatives. But unless we act with morality and truth at heart, there's nothing that'll 
happen, nothing will change. We need to make sure we stand in truth. But our freedom, I was thinking about this, this is why we can walk with confidence, humble confidence, because our freedom doesn't depend on anybody, anybody, uh, any government, any entity, any amount of money that we have, the number of possessions that we own, none of that. Our freedom solely depends on one person, and that is Jesus Christ. Our freedom depends on what our God has done for us, what our God has given us, and what our God promises us. This is why there is never an accusation that is brought before God's elect, God's people that will ever, ever stand for a moment because it is God who has justified us in his son, Jesus Christ. We can stand just knowing that freedom, confident in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The believer's justification can never be overthrown because it is God who justifies and no accusation will ever prevail. In fact, Paul asked a follow-up question. Who is to condemn? No, nobody can condemn you. Christ not only died, but he was raised from the dead and is at the right hand of God. And he's there interceding on behalf of you and I. What's interesting is, is our advocate does not have to stand up. His simple presence there. See, when he sat down, his posture is one of, it is finished. It's done. Rest in that. Know, know this so that you can rest with confidence. Have that peace that no one can take away from you. No circumstances, nothing can ever take away from you. His very presence as the risen Christ sitting at the right hand of the Father is intercession enough. Because in Christ, we are victorious over sin and death. The Father, in a way, can just simply look over at the Son as an accusation comes. And the Son can look to the Father and say, He's mine. She's mine. That's enough. And then Paul brings up another question Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You ever, you ever sense, you ever feel like God's love has departed from you? Like you're just all by yourself? The question to that is, is it our fault or is it God's? And is it true? Because it's another one of his rhetorical questions. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Knowing all that... Of, of what preceded, is there, is there anyone or anything that can separate us from the love of Christ? And he starts asking. He starts going through this list. Can tribulation? And you think about that. Tribulation. Have you ever gone through tribulation? Maybe that separates you from the love of Christ. No? Distress? Persecution? Famine? Nakedness or being poor, not being able to clothe yourself. Danger. Sword.
The, the apostles were dealing with all of this. I, I think you and I, we have yet to experience perhaps true danger or the sword. The, the, the apostles were experiencing all of this for the sake of the gospel, and they were doing so willingly. To live in, in that time, sometimes we look at movies uh, regarding the apostles in the time of Christ, and we think, man, what it would have been to live in that day. <laughs> really? Okay. Second Corinthians <clears throat> chapter 11. Let, let me describe to you, just in case you insist on that. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. This is the Apostle Paul, and he was talking about what he has experienced up to this point. He said, um, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Five times. Anyone gone through something like that? That, that was during their time, and it was for their faith. What will you go through for your faith? Let's go on, because that, was, that wasn't it. Three times I was beaten with rods. Three times, okay. Once I was stoned, three times, and he was left for dead. And by the way, he actually went back into that city. Talk about tenacity. That's why I, I refer to the Apostle Paul as the bulldog of Christianity. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant. And that is weakness. How sad that so much less has put the brethren against each other, caused people to quit and turn their backs on God. Much less. Paul was a man just like you and I, Peter, James, John, all of the disciples. And yet they had a faith, they had a joy, they were redeemed, they were free in Christ. Therefore, they could live freely and confident, knowing that they were dependent on no one else for their freedom. They knew an eternal hope. Also in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10, the Apostle Paul had asked the Lord to remove this thorn that he had, which we don't know what it is, but in verse 8 it says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that, I should, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Perspective. Even through all of that, he remained unshaken. We sung it. We sung those words, unshaken. We need to express that and exemplify that in our own lives. Being steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know, Philippians 1.21 says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. As, as we learn more about the Christian and what he should look like, we should be able to utter those words as well. Philippians 1.21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Danger or sword, not even sword, will remove or withdraw God's love for me. We are guilty of removing ourselves from Christ when we go through difficulties because we fail to have the right perspective and place our hope and trust not in the right person. Because God never removes himself, nor has he ever, does he ever remove his love for us. Ever. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Therefore, knowing that no one has the power to, to accuse, condemn, and separate you from the love of God, this means that we are free in Christ. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So in Christ, we have everything, and we have freedom. Thirdly, in Christ, we have victory. Verse 37 says, Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ, we know victory. He is our declaration, our proclamation of victory. We are more than conquerors. Because he loved us. In all these things is a statement that says that nothing has been overlooked. There's nothing. You need to understand and know that there is great confidence. There's a humility with Paul, but there's great confidence. The statement is in the past tense because this verse points back to one very important event. And that is the cross. The cross is a place where Christ shed his blood and died for our sins and knew victory over sin for us. Be confident, Christian, that none of this can separate us from the love of God. Therefore, know that in Christ, you are more than a conqueror. You want to know how to conquer the world? It's in Christ. He has conquered it. Therefore, in him, we have conquered the world. And nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is a statement that emphasizes complete victory. Complete victory. That God gives those who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Can death separate us from the love of God? Will death do that? No. 
To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. How about life? Kind of odd that he put death and life there, right? But we need to be careful because sometimes life will cause us to separate from God and the things in it. But for those who are in Christ, uh, sometimes even our stupidity, right? Even in that, the love of Christ will not separate from us. The seducing temptations, the pleasures of life, the trials and persecutions, nothing. So that, that's why we can be confident in the Lord. That's why, by the way, when you do face trials and, and perhaps you do stumble, be confident in this. Humble yourself before the Lord. Stop listening to the whispers of the enemy. Stay down, right? The, the enemy will say, stay down. You're nothing. You're worthless. And with this confidence that we're going over, at that very moment, we can humble ourselves before the Lord, confess our sins, ask him for forgiveness, repent, and pop right back up and keep going. And that's what we ought to do. How about angels? Can, can they separate us from the love of God? Demons? No, these are, these are all rhetorical, but, but at the same time we look at that list, there is the worship of angels. That's wrong. In the Bible, time and time again, you know, in fact, when John, remember in Revelation, he would, he would fall down on his face and start worshiping the angel. He said, no, 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 stand up. I, am I God? No, I'm not God. You, we only worship God. Bless you. Demons, no. With angels, don't worship them. With demons, turn away from them. As God always gives us a way of escape with every temptation they throw our way. How about rulers? No. They don't have the authority over you as they are not over God. No, not anything in the present. Nothing to come. Nothing's going to come that's going to be new that will cause us to separate from the love of God. How about anything in the heavens? Anyone read the, the headlines lately? What's our obsession with UFOs? <laughs> it's the same pictures, right? There's this obsession with UFOs, and, and now, of course, there's papers that have been released, and so there's more validity right to UFOs. Uh, but according to the word, and I trust the word, it says not even anything in the heavens can separate us from the love of God. So don't worry about it. Even if they abduct you, <laughs> it won't separate you from the love of God. And there's nothing on earth. It says nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, and I have to say this, this is now the third time that you'll hear it this morning. Perhaps it's for a reason. Jesus' words to his disciples in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. He, he says that before he says the next thing. I have said these, everything that I've said to you. I've said these things to you for a reason. 
that in me, in Christ, you may have peace. Again, again I asked you the question earlier, earlier, and I asked you the question again. Do you have peace? Do you, do you have the peace of Christ? Because Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, in Christ, we have everything. We have freedom and we have victory. And that is why, as we go about our day, what I hope and pray is that we hold on to these words, perhaps revisit them at another time today, that we may be encouraged, built up in the Lord, knowing that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, that no one can bring an accusation against us that can stick in Christ. No one can condemn us in Christ. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Let freedom ring in your life. Let it resonate. Let it be expressed by the manner, by the manner in which you conduct yourself. And rejoice in the freedoms that you know in Christ. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you for your forgiveness, for your mercy, for your provision, for your protection, for your promises. Lord, I, I do ask that if there's anyone here who does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that today be the day of salvation. That this very moment, Lord, they would no longer insist on remaining in the world and in their sin, Lord, but at this very moment, they would simply surrender to you, being, being humbled by your love and your kindness. Lord, that you would go to the extent of sending your son to do the work that we could never accomplish on the cross, to pay for our sins in full by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And that everyone here would have either at some point or today placed their trust in Jesus Christ. And I pray for the church, Lord, that, Lord, this would be a word of encouragement to us. Lord, that this would be something that we're reminded of. And, Lord, we, we do walk out of here with a, a skip in our step, Lord, because we are free in Christ. And, and, Lord, we are reassured that nothing and no one can snatch us out of your hand. And we can, we can live as people who are satisfied in Christ, who are content with what we have and who we are in Christ, that you would be honored and glorified. And so, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this moment. And we pray this all in Jesus' name.